I'm DB, a.k.a. Danielle Bezalow, and I'll be your host for the next six episodes of this podcast and beyond. Sex. Birth control. Bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. Everyone took the condoms, blew them up in the hallway. Conversations about STI and safer sex did not happen. My first time I saw a condom, I was 20 years old. Never do anything that doesn't feel right to you. Otherwise, you're not consenting. I don't even know about a penis's anatomy. I want to be someone who talks more about it openly to degrossify it. So there we were. <laughs> Starting a sex ed club. <laughs> Welcome to Sex Ed with DB, an intersectional feminist podcast for folks who want to hear real stories from five Bay Area voices as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. You thought our last episode was the last one? JK, this is our bonus episode. Welcome to the launch of Sex Ed with DB. Thank you so much for being here. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming. All right, let's try that again. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming here. Much better. So I am so, so excited to have a room full of people to share this incredible podcast with that uh, has really, really taken such a team effort. My name is Danielle, and I am DB, as you probably figured already. And I'm going to let our panelists introduce themselves really quickly before we even get into it. So if you want to just say your name, where you're from, and maybe what your favorite snack is to get the ball going. Uh, all right. Hi, uh, my name is Ivy Chen, and I am a sexuality health educator. I... Um, uh, where am I from? Uh, you know what, originally I'm from Hong Kong. I was born there and my family immigrated here when I was seven. And I've actually grown up in the East Bay, went to high school and college here, and now I work at SF State as well as to teach kids and teens around the Bay Area. My favorite snack as of late has been uh, full-fat Greek yogurt. It's just super good. <laughs> uh, my name's Pristine. I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, Ooh, technically the San Fernando Valley. Um, and my favorite snack is really a food, and <laughs> it's pokey. Mm. <laughs> hey y'all, I'm Erin. I'm also a sexuality health educator. I, what were we saying about ourselves? Where are you from? From LA, originally also went to high school with Christine. Um, we've known each other for a minute. Um, live in Oakland now, and my favorite snack is Takis. My name is Ella. Uh, I was born and raised in Oakland. I just graduated high school and I was a student of Aaron's at RAP, Relationship Abuse Prevention Program. And I'm now a student. I just started at Berkeley City College. Okay, um, so this is our panel for tonight. And we have three voices. Yes, we have Ingrid, who will be joining us a little later. She's getting out of class, I believe, a little later. Um, so if you see Ingrid coming in at 8 o'clock, she belongs up here. So direct her up here. So basically, we have three voices from our total five voices from Sex Ed with DB, who are going to be featured throughout every episode of the first season. And we also have Ella, and she, along with Imani, who I don't see here yet, but she might be here a little later, are going to be in our bonus episode, so look out for that a little later. Um, so just a little bit about the podcast. Uh, Sex Ed with DB is an intersectional feminist podcast um, for folks who want to hear real stories from five Bay Area voices 
um, as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. Um, and you, if you heard the first episode already, which is on iTunes and we submitted it to Spotify today and SoundCloud, you'll know that the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because uh, the year after I graduated from Berkeley, I went to Israel and I went to a super religious community and I was touring there with the cohort that I went with. And we went to the community of the Bells in Jerusalem. And the main rabbi there, he was giving us a tour of the synagogue and talking about his family and his traditions. And he said that when his five daughters each separately turned 17, they would be married off by a matchmaker. And his words were he hoped they would get pregnant that night. And that was the first night that they would learn about sex. And I was like, oh, no. And I was just really struck by that. And, of course, as you, if you know me, you know that my hand shot right in the air. And I was like, oh, wait, let's talk about that. And uh, I was like, don't you think that, like, you should maybe tell your daughters a little bit about what that is before they are doing that or they're forced to do that? And then my head was thinking, like, what about, like, if they get pregnant and they're not ready to be a mom at 17? What if they don't have the support at home? And what if they don't have friends and other people in their lives who are giving them the right information about that? Um, and the rabbi looked at me and just said, this is how it goes. So the reason why I'm here and why I've invited all these panelists to be here is because uh, that's not fucking how it goes, um, I hope. And I would love to change that norm. So that's why I'm here. Um, so thank you all for sharing this with me and with us tonight. And we're just going to kind of get started um, with our questions. So I'll just hand the mic over to you and ask the first question. And whenever you're finished, just pass it around and pass it along. Um, there will be time towards the end for the audience to kind of engage and ask questions. Um, so there will be room for that. So look out for that. So the first question is, why did you want to do this podcast? So the reason why I wanted to participate in it is because the way that I generally teach sex education is live in person in a classroom, which means that I do get to talk to a lot of people in a fairly intimate way, but only the group of people who can actually show up live. So I wanted to have a different way to be able to educate, to be able to reach people who live far away from the Bay Area, who may not actually get comprehensive sex ed and who I might not get to see in real life and at least they actually get to hear some of this information so that's one of the main motivations why I wanted to get involved. Deepez over here approached me with a podcast specifically to talk about uh, one of the episodes that yeah, I not reveal. No, no you can reveal. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I'll be, I guess everybody will be talking on uh, the episode about uh, non-monogamy and polyamory. And Divas reached out to me to talk about that stuff, I think because our mutual friend, Rachel Upton, who is a content editor for the pod podcast, was like, you know who should, you should ask for your podcast? This really interesting woman named Christine. She And Divas was like, I know Christine. And it was true. So then she asked me. And it just sounded like a really cool idea. Um, and uh, I love talking about this stuff as well as my experience and all of the ways in which my identities have kind of come together in a very specific way. And so, yeah. 
I wanted to do this just because I love talking about sex. I love talking about sex education. Um, I love talking about gender and sexuality and where those things come together. I love hanging out with cute little Pomeranians. <laughs> Bonus. Um, and Danielle is one of my really good friends. I think that just having these conversations, I'm a big proponent of talking about these things openly and honestly and without shame. And I never really got sex ed when I was a young person. The most comprehensive sex ed that I got was not until I was a senior at UC Berkeley. So hoping that uh, my experiences and my knowledge can sort of uh, reach folks for whom that's a similar story. So me and Imani, who went to my school with me, we were told that we were going to be the youngest people in the podcast, and we had just, you know, kind of had our experiences with sex ed pretty recently, and Imani and I were really um, not fans of the way it was going where we went to school, and I will just be honest and tell you where I went to school. It's like a couple blocks away, Oakland School for the Arts. Um, so we tried to start a sex ed club. I also tried to start like a condom locker kind of thing, and we just thought it would be really cool to be a part of this podcast where we could offer like kind of a fresh perspective of people who really recently went through that. Okay, um, the next question is, what was the most exciting part of being interviewed? So whether that be you wanting to talk about a certain topic, or us just like having some jokes, or what was like the best part for each of you? Actually, the most exciting part for me was watching you come to my house and kind of set everything mm -hmm. up. Um, and previously, I'd done some media stuff, but you feel like you got to go into this big studio and with cameras and lights and everything. And it's really nice to see that it can be done in a more grassroots ways uh, and, you know, that it's kind of self-powered and, and that you can get it out there, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to involve a lot of powers that be and or their approval. So it was super cool to watch you kind of build it from the ground up, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, um, again, you know, friends of friends and like we or I talk about this stuff all the time anyways. And so it's like, can we record you? And Danielle comes over and I'm like, yeah, like after a long day of work, like let's do this thing. And it's so fucking legit. And like, there's like shit everywhere and like a bunch of people pushing buttons. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's do this. Um, and it was really cool. Like we talked for a really long time and Part of it was like led uh, with regards to the podcast, but also a lot of it was a conversation. And it was really interesting having Danielle as well as the sound crew in the room getting to know me real well <laughs> in, the, in a matter of about two hours. And that, that was it because I was just talking. And so they were all just like observing and like learning. And the questions were cool and uh, kind of interacting in that way. And, yeah. I think also the seeing the magic behind the project and seeing like what equipment it takes and how many people it takes to set up all this stuff and ask all these questions. Um, I'm also pretty vain, and there was a photo shoot beforehand, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I think just just seeing all that it takes to put on a project like this, and like Ivy said, right, that this it took a lot, and it also didn't take that much. Um, and just being able to uh, reach a wider audience than I would be able to reach in person. Um, it was really interesting to not have met you before the interview and go to your house in San Francisco. And it was just really cool to like kind of go into it. I don't know, I was some, for some reason I was really comfortable just like, I was just kind of thinking, well this person wants to talk about this topic that I'm really passionate about and like, 
I don't think I'm going to be uncomfortable. And I wasn't. And it was a really great experience and a great conversation. And it's so cool to see, like, independent projects really, like, get going like this and get so many people on board. So, thank you. And just a little backstory. So I took a uh, beginners to podcast class uh, with the Bay Area Video Coalition on May 14th. And that was the first time I even thought about doing a podcast. And as soon, I don't know if Aaron remembers this quite as well as I do, but as soon as the podcast class was over, I texted Aaron. I was like, I have an idea. I have an idea. I really want to do this podcast. Can you like do it with me? And you were like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's try to figure out like what's going on. And like, I'll definitely be on the team, but like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, great, great, great. And um, Aaron agreed to be a content editor and to be featured. And I was like, this is already going to kick ass if that's the, the deal. So I was so excited from the get-go. And I think to echo what everyone's saying, like this really was like such a team effort. Um, there are 10 volunteers on this team who are doing this work because they love it. Um, from graphic illustrator, who's in the back, who, Jessica, I, she's, she's incredible. If anyone has been seeing our graphics, oh my God, she needs to get paid billions for them because they're so good. And they're amazing sound editors and we have people who are editing our episodes as we speak right now and just, you know, content editors and everyone behind the scenes are doing such important work and I truly could not have done this. Um, without everyone. So let's give a round of applause for all of the team members. Okay. Um, the next question I have in is, uh, so the first episode, whoever has listened, um, don't raise your hand because if you haven't yet, that's fine. Go home and listen. Um, we talk about sex ed and uh, how we talk about sex. And um, this question is based off of the conversations we were having in the first episode, which is, this is, could be a long answer, or it could be as short as you want. Um, where, in your opinion, do we need to grow as a community to have better sex education for youth? And how do we do this? So what I do is I teach kids and teens in the schools, and I also see usually parents and caretakers the week before I teach the kids to get them in the loop. But I actually feel that as much great sex ed as we're doing in school, and especially with the new law that says you have to do comprehensive, medically accurate sex ed, that's important. Why was that not in place before? But nonetheless, um, so we're doing some great sex ed workshops for students in the schools, but I feel like we have to address the rest of their lives as well. So to provide some support for their parents so that they can actually have these conversations at home and in fact to actually have these types of workshops for parents before their kids are actually of puberty age. So maybe when they're in preschool or maybe when they're in kindergarten or first or second grade because we want to recognize that we are sexual beings from birth till death and not necessarily just when we start puberty or when somebody becomes sexually active. So the other thing too is recognizing that the teachers are in the classroom with the kids the rest of the school year and to provide workshops for the teachers to support them to be able to continue these conversations and to provide them with the skills and the awareness and the language to be able to offer as much inclusive education as they can and not be like boys line up here and girls line up there because sometimes actually you're still seeing that in the school despite what I might be able to do in one week right so provide a training for teachers support for parents and also actually to provide other things that support kids in the rest of their lives and so one of the programs that I had participated in that I thought was so revolutionary was that I was part of a team that provided sex education and workshops after school 
to um, high school girls who played basketball. So the basketball league was the sex ed, actually the pregnancy prevention program. And so what was cool about it was that it gave them a place to go and something to do, right? And a way to express their body that isn't just about looking sexy. It gave them an identity as an athlete that was beyond being somebody's girlfriend. And in fact, it was a very effective program in preventing pregnancy and in fact many of the girls went on to get college scholarships based on their basketball playing so i just thought this is great this is so thinking outside the box and it's effective and especially with all the budget cuts that are happening in many of these sports or art or drama programs that we really need to be able to provide those and to support the kids in other ways other than just talking to them you know uh in the classroom about sex ed or you know putting a condom on a banana and last but not least, certainly to actually be able to provide access to sexual and reproductive health care. Because you can talk about birth control, pregnancy tests, HIV, but if there's nowhere that they can go to actually get testing or birth control or even just condoms, then you know, you're missing a piece, right? They can't actually uh, act on many of these healthy things that they should be doing or want to be doing, except just really can't, okay, because of transportation or time or embarrassment or whatever else it might be. It's a it's a big it's a big goal, you know, but it has to be uh, complete, right? It actually just can't be whatever we're doing just for like one day or one week in the classroom. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, ditto, yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I well, I, I listened to the podcast and uh, uh, Ivy was talking about family, and I think that's a big piece. Um, I actually, when Danielle asked this question just now, I started thinking about my family and like how I would want to talk to my uh, ch ch children about it. Um, and uh, I think also, I don't know, the first the first thing that comes to my mind, which is, seems really, I don't know, strange right now, is like I grew up in the church and uh, a lot of my closest mentors, like young adult mentors, were in the church. And in my mind, if some way that could happen, like to be a little bit more realistic and because I connected with my mentors in like very, very, very real ways when I was young, but uh, obviously with like there, there's a lot of stigma around the church specifically around abstinence, around other types of education. But I think if there could be a way, uh, again, in these community spaces where young people are trusting adults or young, uh, young adults uh, who maybe aren't going to be their parents uh, to, about, to talk about these things in a real Way. So a part of the work that I do, or I guess the main like crux of the work that I do, uh, is talking about healthy relationships, familial, dating relationships, family relationships. It's it's a I work for a domestic violence prevention organization, so it's mostly uh, dating violence prevention uh, that I'm doing. But I think that having conversations about like outside of just like a moment of sex, like what are these two people doing outside of that moment? How are they interacting with each other? Are they treating each other respectfully inside and outside of the bedroom or whatever other room that they might want to have sex in? Um, so I think, I think wrapping in, wrapping, my program is called Wrap. Um, I think including in conversations about healthy relationships would be a really good place to sort of bring sex education, aside from, of course, like, starting younger with kids and starting younger with parents and all the stuff that has been said before. Um, I think that if adults have to be the ones to teach sex ed, they need to be adults who are not afraid of young people's sexualities because I think one of the biggest problems that I ran into in high school was, like, 
just like how am I supposed to like learn how am I supposed to like come into my like sexual life if like the adults or the people who are supposed to be teaching me are like Ugh, and like I'm just gonna also be like oh I don't know another thing is resources yeah like you can talk the talk but like we don't have a nurse at my school we don't have I mean Berkeley High has like many different kinds of contraception that you can get at the nurse's um, office, which is really amazing. But yeah, I mean, I think that like peer teachers could be really cool. And I know that there's a program like that at Berkeley High as well. Berkeley High is doing a lot of cool things, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm jealous. But um, yeah, I mean, mainly just like, don't be afraid of young people's sexualities, you know. The next question is, are there any uh, facts or statistics that you know? Um, for me, whenever I hear kind of any, like, whether they're fun or not, but when I hear facts and statistics that are really relevant to me and to my own life, they really, really stick to me. Um, recently, I was applying for a job um, at an organization called V-Day. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that nonprofit. Um, it's uh, basically a uh, prevention um, for violence against women organization. And I read on their homepage that one in three women um, in the United States will be beaten or raped in her lifetime. And that really, really stuck with me as uh, something that like needs to change. We need to do something about that. Um, it's been going on for a really long time, and the more and more we can talk about these things and normalize these conversations, the hopefully less and less that will be happening. Um, so that's a statistic to take back for you. Um, does anyone have any other <laughs> facts or statistics that they want to share? Well, the one that I came up with, since I teach sex ed, right, <laughs> so it's going to be about sex ed. So my fun fact is that sex ed delays sex. And so one of the biggest concerns, I know, it seems ironic, right? But one of the biggest concerns that parents often have is, wait, if we talk about this, it's going to make them want to do it. And I'm like, have you seen the internet lately? It's because we don't need to give them ideas. What we need to do is give them facts. We need to actually tell them the truth, right? Because learning about sex from porn is a form of sex education that many young people have, but that's not healthy and that's not often realistic. But what happens is that if they actually get comprehensive sex ed where they have the uh, correct information about using contraception, information about uh, sexual decision-making and developing healthy romantic relationships, what it is is that it often makes them help to make, helps them to make a good decision. And sometimes that decision is to wait to have sex until they're truly ready. And also to talk about the role of alcohol in this as well, right? And so to actually make, make it so that uh, they have a very, very comprehensive conversation about all everything that goes into sex. And it turns out that it's effective in making it so that people usually have sex later. So, I mean, so it's often taught in a very sex-positive kind of a way. And, you know, interestingly enough, it actually makes it so kids and teens who have had this type of sex ed have sex later. And they wait until they're ready and they end up having a much more positive experience on their own terms. That um, makes me think about alcohol and drinking ages and the idea around, like, don't do this, don't do this, it's bad, don't do this. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to do it, right? <laughs> um, and 
that that just makes me think about my parents. They didn't necessarily tell me the best things about sex. Um, I mostly remember my dad being like, "Hey, that was like like twelve or something." I had I only had friends that were boys, but I also looked like a little boy, so um, it was fine. And uh, he was like, he was like, "Hey," because I would like hang out with all my like my guy friends a lot to like airsoft or like blow things up. And he was like, he was like, "You never let a boy undress you alone, okay?" And I was like. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, bye. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, anyways, um, my statistic was your statistic, but when I first heard it, it was one in five, and that was only a few years ago. So, ninety percent. I'm like, I have a pretty good memory, and I made these little postcards a while ago that actually have a quote by you on them. Um, but it it's like info cards about like why my program exists. But a lot of people are like, no, we don't need to talk to young people about this because they're not dating yet or they're not doing it yet. Um, 90% of teens self-report having been in a dating or romantic relationship in their teen years. Uh, that could be anything from sexting to dating to holding hands, whatever a young person identifies as dating or romantic relationship. And 30% of those young people are experiencing abuse or violence in those relationships. Um, so we have about a third of young people who are dating experiencing dating violence. Which I guess, yeah, is just further proof that, like, these conversations need to happen and they need to start happening younger than they are. I don't remember the exact statistics, but I just know that, and I think a lot of people in the room have probably heard this, just there's higher rates of teen pregnancy in states that don't require... Uh, sex ed. Okay, moving right along. How's everyone doing? We're still awake? Great. Okay. Thank you. I want to know, I think for me, uh, so the, I'll say the question first. <laughs> the question is, sorry, getting ahead of myself. Uh, what was challenging about sharing your stories and your opinions on this podcast? Um, I think before I open the floor, um, I do want to say, even though I don't know how people have perceived me in interviewing, but it's definitely nerve-wracking um, kind of being someone who feels like they are like self-taught in some ways um, in sex ed, and it's really intimidating and really amazing and inspiring um, to interview people who either have, you know, 20 plus years of experience teaching sex ed in the Bay, or, you know, people who have been interacting with youth for a really long time, or activists who are, you know, figuring out all these things about sex, and I'm just so thankful to have you all on this panel um, to teach me and hopefully so many other people about all these things. But I want to know what was challenging for you. All right, so... Uh, my job is teaching sex ed, and I've been teaching sex ed for, for 21 years. And my main focus is on my students, right? So in fact, actually, when they ask personal questions about yay, it's all about you. And so when they ask personal questions about me, I have been trained, because I started out with Planned Parenthood, to deflect, right? So, you know, so for example, and you know what? Kids are like all up in my business, you know? So today, I was talking about periods with fifth graders, and this one little boy is all like, do you still have your period? And I'm like, you know, okay, so here's here's what you do. Here's the deflection. So so I don't say, why, well, yes, I do, and I use tampons. And so instead, what you say is the is the is the average. Like, you know, most women under the age of 50 still menstruate. So 
That's how you handle it. But then sometimes, actually, especially with the anonymous question box, they get real personal. So they're like, uh, you know, have, have you had sex? Are you a virgin? You know, the way you answer that is most adults have, you know? And, anyways, and, and then it's like, what's your favorite position? You know, so they actually get into most all adults. Anyways, and so so that's what I do. I deflect and then I turn it back on them, right? So whatever you're interviewing me and you're asking me, right, about my experience, uh, and now I got to talk about myself, that's actually challenging because that's not what I usually do. And also talking about yourself, sharing your own opinion and experiences, it makes you vulnerable, you know? So, and you know, so it's a, so it's a little bit like I'm not sure what to expect, you know, and especially since once you record it and other people hear it, they're going to interpret it the way that they're going to interpret it. And you can't be like, excuse me, let me put that in context for you. What I meant was, you know, and so that's, that's a little scary or challenging as well. So those are the things that I was dealing with. I, I guess two things. One, uh, what, like I, I'm not, not practiced in talking about, uh, my life and my relationships or my identities and my experience. I am a little bit unpracticed in talking about it with people who don't already know about it um, and aren't intimately involved with it or otherwise. And so it was interesting uh, with you asking me questions and you being like, well, what does that mean? And I was like, right, 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 for sure, for sure. Or explaining types of, like, just explaining dynamics that I understand uh, and I feel like is pretty familiar to my immediate community. And then on top of that, I think, I didn't realize how official this was going to be, so Daniel's like, something, something about this, and I was like, well, my partner, and like trying to keep people anonymous, um, which I think I did a pretty good job of, uh, hopefully, um, I don't know if I needed to, but um, yeah, I think just like, how do I be professional on this thing, and like for the sake of like educating, for the sake of talking about, about my experience, but I haven't necessarily talked with these people, or don't know if they want to be on the internet, so... <laughs> I think also the just the level of like this is the sentence that people are going to listen to and not being able to like go back and edit it the way I would a paper or a conversation I was having with a young person where I could you know two days later or the week later be like I said this thing and I was thinking about it and actually I don't necessarily agree with what I said or I maybe worded it wrong so I think the permanence of it I have a lot of experience talking about my own life and identities and how all that stuff comes together with this work and very much view my identities and experiences as political tools but I'm less used to the like forever permanence of the internet. Um, I wrote an article like two years ago for my school about sex ed so I was like kind of familiar with you know putting my I, I we have a school newspaper that's online so I was familiar with like putting my vulnerable words my personal words um, out in, on the internet but I most of the people who read that article were students and you know there were a few adults who read it and a few teachers who read it but it was mostly young people so um, we, the, the difference with the podcast was, like, I, I was speaking with a stranger, and, you know, a lot of adults I figured were going to be hearing it, so it was a different audience and a different kind of uh, medium for my thoughts, so it was kind of nerve-wracking at first. Kind of that. We'll just kind of give you a second, but, uh, <laughs> this is Ingrid, everybody! Yay! Yay!
the question is, what was challenging for you about this podcast? And then after Ingrid's answer, actually, we're just going to take like a 10-minute food, go outside and get some air break, and then we'll come back, do the rest of the panel, and do a raffle. So take it away, Ingrid. Okay. What was challenging? For doing the pot when I with the interview? Yeah. Actually, I didn't find it to be challenging at all. But for me, <laughs> I actually really had a great time and I enjoyed it. I was actually really looking forward to it. it. And having that opportunity was just really great. So I just kind of go with the flow and there's nothing to hide. And it's all about being open and liberating. And I guess that's the, maybe, maybe like challenging to get to where I am is more, yeah. more of a, more of like a, the process, um, but being here, it's not, it's just something that I can look forward to in the future. So, yeah. And I was happy that I was able to, like, we all have our own voices because that's really important. And thank you all for being here. And, you know, it's, I hope you, you all understand. I didn't mean to be late, is I teach on Thursdays. <laughs> so I literally was coming from San Francisco. Um, and and it took me an hour. Terrible. It yeah. took me an hour to get here, but I got here right after class. All right, so welcome back. We're going to do a couple more questions, and then we will say that the audience has a turn to speak if they do so desire. So this kind of goes with the question before of, like, why did you all want to do this podcast? But this next question is a little bit more specific in that why is it – obviously, you all think this podcast is important in some, in some capacity – um, but why is this important to share um, and to talk about with other people? So I feel that it's actually very important to talk about it because it's a, it's actually a subject that people don't feel comfortable talking about. And I think that when you start hearing other people and their stories, it normalizes it to make other people feel that, you know what, I'm not alone and I have a voice and then I can talk about things. So I think like just coming from my own experience, I really grew up where I didn't talk about sex at all or anything or even what sexuality was just because I'm first generation Latina, hecha derecha, 100% Colombiana. And yes, you know, my my family just did not talk about sex at all. And if I was supposed to be a virgin until I freaking got married and I had to have that white picket fence and have a guy as my partner and have kids and a family. And, and, uh, and that did not, I did not fit in that mold. So it took me to hear other women or just other people show me that, that uh, sexuality can mean so many different things to, and it, it really helped me come out of my shell and to really explore what sexuality really is. So because I felt that that was so important in my life, I see that as very important to everyone's lives. Because a lot of the students that I actually talk to, I always get the thank you for not being that traditional mold that that I grew up seeing and hearing and now I feel more comfortable that I feel that it's okay to be different from someone else so I think it's really important because it also brings dialogue and and discussion and also to to really get a break free of the heteronormative way of what is supposed to be uh, correct because there is no right or wrong it's how you feel what comes here what do you want so yeah my my answer <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, 
So I do think that it's important for folks to listen and share this podcast because, once again, echoing what Ingrid was saying, it's not easy to talk about sex. You know, and similar to her experience, uh, my family, uh, Chinese-American immigrant family, so we didn't really talk about sex either, right? And so one of the feedback that I get when I'm in the classroom is that the teacher might sometimes say, you know, you're the first Asian-American guest speaker we've ever had, or, you know, I can actually see the way that the Asian girls are kind of reacting to you. Like they, they kind of, and I, you know, and I didn't get into this to be a role model. And yet I think that you kind of have to realize you end up playing that role and the responsibility that you have when you're representing, especially a group that doesn't usually talk a whole lot openly about sex. And so in that case, what happens is that if they see somebody who looks like them talking comfortably about sex and relationships, then it makes it easier for them to be able to do that too. And so, I mean, even if it's just somebody who we are not going to see in real life, that listening to this podcast can still be a conversation starter, and hopefully it'll just kind of be a little topic of interest where they'll bring it up with their family or friends or their partner and say, hey, you know, I was just listening to this, and I was wondering how you felt about this, because we've actually never talked about this before, so that's what I'm really hoping that this podcast will achieve. Yeah, I, I think a uh, number of reasons, a reason I can think, like, most people are going to have, or a lot of people have phones that can have access to podcasts. And so if they have nobody in their lives who can comfortably talk with them about these things, like it's a push, click and a whoosh away. Wow. Push, click and a whoosh. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I... <laughs> I know, that's a bad one, I'm sorry. Um, so, I, uh, I'm a queer Christian. I recently came out to my parents this past New Year. Um, and I actually uh, made a film many years ago about queerness and Christianity that is on YouTube on private. And when people want to see it, I selectively send them the link because when I first made it many years ago, it wasn't safe for myself nor many of the people in, in it for it to be shared. Um, and I've like had specific viewings and stuff of it, but I, it's only been recently, like in this past half year or whatever month it is, um, that I, like on the internet, uh, I'm no longer uh, inhibiting myself. Um, and so it, it's funny, like I'll post things and people will be like, like it's so weird to see things, especially if they're uh, familiar with how incredibly like stealth they knew I was before. I was so thorough, like seriously, you work for the CIA. Um, and so to speak so openly about my experience um, on something that's going to be so widely held, I think a lot of people are talking about like the individual experiences they had probably echoing from when they were younger and feeling like they were the only one. And I definitely felt like I was the only one. So per chance that if somebody's going to hear something that we say and um, that be helpful um, or encouraging or um, comforting, that is so great. Conversations around sex were never really hard for me to have. Um, my parents are very open. I am Jewish and I am two generations removed from Holocaust survivors. And there was this somewhat problematic, I have a complicated relationship with the Jewish establishment, but there was like this Jewish youth sort of like thing that a lot of Jewish people were pouring resources into youth. 
um, and into youth programming, specifically so that young people would meet each other, fall in love with each other, have sex, have Jewish kids, um, to sort of like repopulate the Jewish people. Um, and I think that that is fine and good and problematic and weird all at the same time. Um, but it's sort of the opposite where my religion was like, or at least the spaces where I was socializing within my religion was very like, we're talking about this, we're doing this, we're going to talk about kissing each other, we're going to like make it a little game and like all this stuff. Um, so there was a lot of conversations about it uh, when I was growing up, when I was in high school. Um, in terms of like, this is something we do, there was no conversations on this is how to do it safely, this is what this means, this is how to... Uh, respect consent, um, how to be healthy with this, how to have healthy conversations about boundaries. None of that was sort of in there. It was just like, you should totally kiss someone. Um, and so I think that sharing this hopefully will, you know, reach people for whom, just like everyone, right, we live in this world that is hypersexualized. So people are learning about all these things at young ages and not necessarily knowing how to access them. So they're like, learning what a blowjob is, maybe at nine years old, um, but there's no conversations around what that actually means, how to have, how to do that with someone in a healthy way. Um, so I think hopefully closing the education gap around what different sex acts are and all of the social components of sex. Um, I guess as I mentioned before about like adults, you know, fearing <clears throat> youth sexuality, I think it's just important for us to hear them and them to hear us and unpack a lot of those fears. I mean, I think there are fears for each side to unpack for each other and yeah. Awesome. Uh, the next question that we have is uh, somewhat embarrassing uh, and somewhat sexy. Um, but the question is, and I will share a story first, uh, what is like a really embarrassing or funny or silly like sex or relationship story, um, personal story that you have that you might want to share with someone in the audience who might be like, oh shit, that happened to me. I'm not the only one um, to maybe help people like normalize these things even more. And I will begin. Uh, so I went abroad to Italy uh, my junior year of college and I was in the like leather market and I saw this like cute guy caught my eye and I was like oh that guy's cute and I should like invite him to the club later and I did and um he like came to meet me and it was like really sweaty and really gross but I was like okay but this guy's like really cute so maybe this will be cool and then I was like kind of just trying to figure it out and see what was going on around me and he kind of went in for the kiss, and but he went in, like, tongue first. And I was like, oh, no. And it was just, like, really too much. And I was like, gotta go. And just, like, kind of jetted. Um, but, yeah, it was just really bad. And I was super embarrassed. And I was just like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't find me. And I was kind of, like, ducking and, like, hiding behind people. And it was just very embarrassing. So has that ever happened to anybody? Just me? Okay. Uh, me? Um, yeah, I'll just kind of pass it along. I mean, it doesn't have to be about sex. It could be about relationships or, like, flirting or whatever comes to mind. Great. First. <laughs> okay, the first thing that came into my mind are pussy farts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, yes, with a partner, and all of a sudden, 
like, it was just a lot of air. But it really <laughs> And I started like, it's pussy farts, I swear it's pussy farts. And I know I turned all red. <laughs> and I, and then, um, but yes, and then, you know what, I, then I just laughed. You know, I just, what else can you do? I mean, really, I mean, you can't do anything else but that. And then, but it was actually really, it, it turned out really nice because then the partner I was with laughed too and said, I don't care, and just turned me around and then just, okay. <laughs> all the time from middle schoolers like what are queefs or barts you know so yeah actually this is completely off topic but the other day like an eighth grader had put an anonymous question in the question box and it's like what's eiffel towering and i'm like oh, oh, I'm not sure. what is but it? you know it's oh. basically a threesome right where, where oh, there's two people two like people? this and there's a, yeah. typically a female in between, one, nice. you know, doggy style, and while doing oral on the other person, oh. and the two people up on top high-fiving or something. Oh, yeah, exactly. Not I'm like, just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> or kissing. Anyway, and so that's completely off topic. So, um, you know, because I had the most problem coming up with an answer for this question, not because I didn't want to share it, because I'm just like, I don't really know. Like, I can think of sort of um, a quasi-embarrassing professional story where when I was... Um, a peer educator as an undergrad and you know we had to see the uh, folks who were coming in for their gynecological exams and we had a script we were supposed to stick with to run through all the birth control methods right regardless that was just sort of our script and so I started on it and this woman said you know what you can stop right there I'm a lesbian I don't have sex with men pregnancy is not an issue and I'm like okay but you know what I have to say this anyway and so I just sort of like like unloaded all this birth control and she just sort of sat there like this you know so I felt really bad like I felt like oh am I supposed to just do my job and stick to my script or should I actually ask her what she needs right and ask her what she wants to know and you know what whatever she's here for so anyhow um so that's one story but yeah I mean I you know it's not to not share something personal but I can't really think of anything right <laughs> other than like maybe going back to when I was like 15 and I had my first a romantic partner and I had my first kiss and you know I think he was trying to do French kissing and I was just like like I didn't know how like how do you what do you learn how to kiss right and so you know and he was just like can you open your mouth a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> just, how do you kiss you know and so that's actually a question I get from the kids I teach too here's a little factoid most people tilt their heads to the right okay so that way you don't bump noses so yeah that's a fun fact right okay there you go yeah that was random. <laughs> I'm sure this is not true, but I can't quite think of something that has happened that I felt embarrassed by. It's probably going to happen tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> I have a great story, though. Um, so, partner in high school, super closeted, super whatever, happened to date a lot of femi people, so they're just my friends, you know. Um, <laughs> And so we were at my house, I was in high, we were in high school, at my house in LA, my bedroom, and so my bedroom shared a wall with the living room, and my bed was up against that wall, and on the other side of the wall was our piano in the living room, and this was like right when I first started learning 
like like or like doing oral sex and going down and figuring out what a beautiful world that was. Um, and uh, my dad was home. It was like the middle of the day. <laughs> like my, my dad was home and um, my partner at the time wanted to go down on me and I was like, okay, 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 like like stealth mode, like my daddy's a pastor, right? Like we like like have all your clothes on. I need to have all my clothes on. Like it's like we gotta be stealth. My dad is in the living room playing piano. <laughs> so it's like beautiful music, beautiful music. Every time he would stop, I would kick her off. My pants on. I'd be like reading a book. <laughs> and then we'd be like like, <laughs> um, it didn't get caught. I have no idea how, like, again, I just came out to my parents this past year. I have no idea how they didn't know when my dad came into the room and we're giggling and sweaty. He was like, what? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, this is a story that is actually um, a quote from Ella that uh, was brought up when we were talking about sex ed in our program, um, it's not, you don't reveal anything about yourself. Um, but, so, you know, when we're talking about anal, we gotta talk about poop. It's, it happens, it's there, it's a part of it, it's part of bodies. Bodies are weird and gross, like, pussies can fart, like, right, all these, like, bodies are just, like, weird, sex is also weird, and that's all. Um, but... So we were having this conversation about, like, anal sex and analingus, and we were talking about dental dams. Um, for those of you who don't know, you can cut a condom into a dental dam by snipping off the top and then snipping down the side, and it just sort of, like, unfolds into a sheet of latex. Um, and we were talking about how we can use dental dams for analingus, and Ella said, you don't knock on the door and expect no one to be home. <laughs> oh, my God. And that is now forever how I talk about uh, what can happen when we are doing anal sex. Uh, I will say, uh, from personal experience, dark black latex gloves are great. The color just sort of like, it just, it's all dark and it's great, you don't have to see it. Um, but yeah, I think that like, also having conversations, right? Like maybe not when we're doing sex education with 17 year olds, like not telling, talking about like, personal embarrassing stories, but, like, neutralizing that bodies are weird and sometimes, like, quote-unquote gross things can happen during sex. Um, there's just, like, a lot of mucous membranes rubbing up against each other and things can get gross. Um, and I think that, like, talking about that as a normal part of it so that young people feel more comfortable asking questions um, around what is, like, quote-unquote normal to happen and what is, like, out of the range of what should be expected. Um, I'm not going to go too graphic or anything. I'm going to go way back to the first kiss times. I had my first kiss, and I remember, like, beforehand when, like, we were at the movies, and the guy was, like, putting his arm around my shoulder and, like, kind of bopped my head. And, like, I thought that was really funny. But later, I told my friend all about it, and I wanted to tell my other friend all about it, so I copied and pasted, like, everything I said about it. No! my like boyfriend or whatever sixth grade boyfriend and we were like sharing youtube links and i copied and pasted like i like, didn't i just clicked enter right away i guess and didn't look at what i had 
copied, and I just sent him like the entire description of our first uh -huh. place. <laughs> like with the head. What did he say? What did he say? It was sixth grade. I don't remember. I think he just was like, "Oh." He cheated on me though. Oh. puberty in our 20s before the internet got really super huge yeah. and social media. We just did all kinds of embarrassing stuff uh, without having it documented <laughs> and preserved yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Wow, those answers were way better than I could have imagined. Uh, great. We have a couple more questions and then uh, we'll open it up to the audience and then we'll do the raffle and then we'll say goodnight. Uh, so this next question is, what would you say, I'm sure there are a couple people in the audience here either who already do sex education work or care about sex education work or want to get involved in sex education work in some capacity, whether that be talking about relationships or consent or gender or whatever um, it may be. So what... Uh, maybe like two sentence or three sentence advice would you give to aspiring sex educators? Find your niche. Find mm. what is unique to you and that you have a passion in because there is a lot of sex educators out there, but what kind of sex educator do you want to be? So that would be what I would say. Right, the advice I would give to an aspiring sex educator is do it. You know, like it's a real career. It's not just something that you have to go and volunteer to do on your spare time when you're done with doing your other job. You know, so this is a real thing. And if you're passionate about it, you should do it because as many sex educators as there are, we can always use more and we can actually have more diverse teachers that look like the students whom they're serving, all different identities, orientations, uh, racial and ethnic background and ages okay and also if you have a language ability right if you speak spanish or mandarin or vietnamese right there are people who can use your language particularly the parents whom i talk to sometimes i mean i have actually occasionally taught in cantonese which is the dialect that's spoken in hong kong spoken in hong kong and so it's uh it's not um you know un unbelievable here in the bay area to actually have a pool of sex educators that are all just different colors and different ages and sizes and shapes and you know and to represent sexuality in that way i guess like feel the room you know like figure out who your population is um in like what they actually want to know i'm a big fan of student-led syllabi so if it's a specific uh population you know like maybe asking questions about what types of sex they're having what they're personally interested in learning about, what they might already know, what they think they already know, um, and kind of letting them lead a lot of the discussion. And if, you know, like doing as much research as you can uh, to like be a resource if you can't be a resource. But, you know, I think part of being a sex educator is, you know, like, like being able to have questions or support people in the things that they are interested in learning, um, as well as providing some basic information that maybe nobody knows that they need to know. Yeah, you kind of stole that one from me. I was going to say, create surveys. Um, I love me a good survey. Uh, but I think that they, when we talk about sex ed, there's so many things that we can talk about. And I think surveys help both, like, 
expedite the process of people learning what they actually should be learning and students feeling like, oh, I'm having a say in what I'm learning about. Um, another thing I want to say is just like reaching out to other people who are doing sex ed. Um, if you're in this room and you're wanting to start teaching sex ed, you have five people who you can reach out to and talk to. Six. six. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think like... This is something that one of my dear friends, Becca, is in the room. She's a 10th grade biology teacher. Uh, she just raised her hand. But uh, Becca brought in a panel of queer and trans people to talk about gender and sexuality to her 10th grade students. Um, so I think, like, reaching out to the community and saying, like, what is it that I don't actually know that I can talk about from my personal experience? And when does it make sense for me to bring in someone who has more experience or expertise on the topic? Um, and not trying to, like, rough it and, like, talk about something if you're not totally sure about it. If you're not totally sure about it and it's a sex ed topic, guaranteed that someone else in the area is, like, down and willing and excited to talk about it. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of um, bases, like, to cover, and there's a lot of, like, I feel like sub-subjects. Um, that are not, like, just the act itself when it comes to sex ed. So I think one of the really important ones is healthy relationships. Like, I thought, like, oh, like, I know how to be healthy in a relationship, and then I did rap, and I was like, oh, well, I had no idea how to be healthy in a relationship. And I think that there's, like, it's, it's, such, it's such an important element. It's, like, you can't really have the, like, sex without the, like, health and without the healthy relationship. And, yeah, um, also provide resources. You can, like, I mean, I don't know if you're supposed to do this, but, I mean, you can just go to Good Vibrations, or not Good Vibrations. You can just go to Planned Parenthood and grab a free bag of condoms. Awesome. Um, so we don't have too much time left, so I just want to say the last question that we had um, was, what would you like to see in Season 2? And just so you all know what each episode is going to look like, you have a sneak peek because you're here at the launch party. So the first episode's topic was sex ed and how we talk about sex. Uh, the second episode was STIs, safe sex, and feeling good. That's the topic of the second one. The third one is polyamory, monogamy, and everything in between. The fourth one is consent and rape culture. The fifth one is gender and sexu sexuality on a spectrum. And the sixth one is kink and flirting. So those are kind of all the topics that we have covered um, for season one. And um, my question is actually going to go to the audience. If you all feel really passionate about a different topic that's not going to be covered in season one, please email us uh, at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Tell us what you want to hear, and we will do it in season two. Um, we are already gearing up to figure out how we can make that happen. So the next five minutes are going to be dedicated. We'll take three questions from the audience, um, members, whoever has a question, um, and then we will do our raffle, um, and then we will say thank you to all of our panelists, and stick around if you want to chat with us. We'll be around for the next 10 or 15 minutes, grab a bite to eat. Um, so I saw one hand right here, so if you want to say your name uh, and the question and who you want to specifically hear from. Okay, I'm Stacia. Also, Ivy, I was in Emma's class, so I had you as a, you were a legend. Like, we heard about you before you came, and we're, like, really, really juiced yeah. about it. Which, which school so, is Uh, Cornell. Uh, yeah. I taught them in fifth grade. Yeah, in fifth grade. She made okay. us scream penis and vagina on the first day. It was epic. Aww. <laughs> um, 
So my question is, uh, I guess I don't have it specific for anyone, but if anyone feels like really like they want to answer it, but just um, if there's any, it's kind of similar to what you asked, but if there was anything that um, you wish you had been asked or that um, you wanted to talk about or something that you did talk about, but you like, if there's anything basically been eating at you since you've like done the interviews. <laughs> Um, and this is something that hasn't been eating away at me, but it was just something when you asked that question, I was like, oh, there's a topic. Um, I think talking about the political history of sex education, there is a really dope, dope, dope law in California uh, that was passed and became in effect in January 2016, which Ivy talks about in the first episode called the Healthy Youth Act, and that's only in California. I think also something that like the free love hippie movement did in the 60s and 70s was start talking about they started talking about sex as it was supposed to be like a fun and pleasurable thing um and a lot of the birth of the domestic violence prevention movement came out of that era because people were like oh sex is supposed to be fun and pleasurable that hasn't been my experience with sex let's gather and talk about what sexual violence looks like so I think just talking about the history of sex ed and what it's meant for people and sort of the history of, like, sexual violence prevention work. Awesome. Thank you. Anybody else have a question that they'd like to ask? Oh, yes. I think also uh, talking about sex, I mean, talking about desire and pleasure, that is not really talked about even, even in academia. And so that is one thing that I, I feel that there should be more of because it's not just the physical things that are happening to your body, but it's also uh, talking about what feels good and that it's okay to feel good. And if it doesn't feel good, then you need to talk about why it doesn't feel good. So, and just, so yes, that's just what I wanted to add is he talks about pleasure and desire, so. And that affects your body too. So. <laughs> and also, actually, here's some ideas maybe for season two. So, yeah. uh, you know, and here's the thing it may be because I'm in my mid 40s, you know, that I'm thinking about the issues that are affecting me. And so I think that it might be interesting to explore the topic of being childless by choice, right? Because that's still something that a lot of women, I think, are being asked, like, so, do you have any kids? Like, just the assumption that you do or that you want them and that there's something wrong with you if you don't. Okay, so, and that somehow it's a judgment on your femininity if you don't. Anyways, and so, um, you know, and other issues include uh, postmenopausal sexuality. Because I'm getting close. Okay, so just like, let's talk about that, okay? And also, actually, two of my close friends have been diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, and how these types of cancers affect sexuality, particularly one that is so intimate, right, about a body part that is often defined with femininity as well. And, you know, for, for that to change their life, including their sex life and their relationship. So, some ideas. Okay? Yeah. I do have other ideas as well. <laughs> And it's really looking at disabilities and sex, yeah. and that is something that really people don't talk about. And there's so many things that you that you can do and still have fun about the desire and pleasure, even with a disability. And also another thing, talking about uh, ageism as well. As as people just grow older, what does um, sex look like? You know. So yeah. yeah. It's the population that is most. Uh, quickly accumulating STIs is yes. older folks. Great to know. I'll tell my grandma. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> anyone have grandma. one? Yeah. My grandma's 91. Uh, call your buddies. Uh, anyone have like one last question they want to ask before we do the raffle? Yes, come on up. Hi, my name is Jessica. I'm 
Hi everyone, my name is Maddie. I have been wondering about some of you and how you grew up in maybe like Catholic environments or environment in which you felt unsafe claiming maybe queer identities or learning more about queer sex or just sex in general. You know, I grew up with a lot of shame around Catholicism and also I think that my race played a lot of part into the sort of um, dialogues I had around sex and how to navigate around that. There was a lot of shame around that. So I'm wondering what helped you to gather the tools necessary in order to gather the information that you needed to overcome these sort of boundaries. There's any other questions? Here? I definitely thank you for sharing that. I have to say that I, I struggled um, personally. Uh, I it took me to go to Berkeley, go back to LA to really ex to have my first boyfriend tell me that maybe perhaps you like women. For me to be like, why do you say that? <laughs> I, I, I'm Latin and I'm not supposed to. And oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what my family is going to think about that. So no, I can't. I can't. You know, it's right away. To me, then in hiding in secret, having a different life. I did have a different life in LA, and because I really wanted to start exploring that, like what what does that mean? Because uh, I just didn't want to face it. And then it took me to come back to San Francisco for me to really step away from my family to find the courage in myself and and um, and also to realizing that I don't like labels and I don't like being labeled I don't like having anybody tell me who I am or what I am or what I'm supposed to be and so I hate being put in a box and that is when I started that helped me empower myself to be like okay what do I want in my life and I want to be happy and how can I get there and it was more of like I need to love myself because I really didn't I kept putting myself down and thinking that I wasn't good enough and that I would never meet those standards that my family wanted me to meet. And, and I felt like since I was the oldest, I felt like I had I had all my family looking at me and the first to go to college to be like, well, you're you're you have to you have to represent to your sister and to your cousins and 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 to say that uh, that I'm fluid, that I that I am it, I love the person who the person is, regardless of what sex they are, how they identify or anything. It's like, if I have a connection with that person, that is what I'm in love with. And it took me to embrace myself first and how I viewed myself for me to be, to empower myself and also finding people that accepted me too. That the social support helped me along that way to make, to feel strong that I had my peeps behind me. I had my bitches, okay? Like, I, I, swear, I do call them my bitches. And, so, and they love it. I have my number one bitch, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> For me then to be like, to tell my family and to tell my mom, really, uh, this is who I am. And yeah, it was hard. I had to be okay that if they weren't going to accept me, I had to be okay with that. And that was the hardest thing. But I was determined that I'm like, you know what? If you can't accept me for who I am, then I can't live like that. So it was hard. And I took my it took my mom a while. Now it's really cute because she asks me a lot of questions. And I always have to say, okay, wait, I am not a daughter right now. Let me put a different hat on. But it's really nice. It, it made us our made our relationship stronger. So but it was a, it was a journey. I'm not gonna say it was easy, it was a journey. But self-love, support, yes.
So I was thinking, I was reflecting a lot on my life just now um, <laughs> and listening intently. Um, and ironically enough, um, I feel like there's like three different parts that I want to address. Um, so super closeted until my sophomore year of college, um, even though I was in a really intense relationship for a lot of that time. And it took my partner cheating on me, and it was like kind of the, sh and it was like a really unhealthy relationship, but my, the whole relationship was super secretive. I was leaving this really intense double life. I was really good and had really compartmentalized my, 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 my life in this, in, like, my parents had no idea about it. Like, I was the good kid, you know? I was, like, good at school. I was good at all these things, and they didn't know anything about me. And it, and I was lying to so many of my friends, and I was lying to a lot of, like, the people that I really cared about at church, and I was lying, like, it was just so many, like, fractals in my mind to keep, keep, and keep accountable. And, so when my partner cheated on me, it was this moment of like, oh my god, like what was so hurtful about this? Like I don't even care that you cheated. Like we had already gone through all the emotions of like possessiveness and like betrayal and all of these things, because and like like faithfulness and whatever. What I was so upset about, what was so heartbreaking, was that you had lied to me like for the past however many weeks, and it being a really self-reflective process of realizing that's what I was doing with all of the people that I really loved and cared about in my life and like realizing I was living this really weird thing because I had kind of come into the faith really of my own volition and um, about the same time that I fell in love with my best friend so it was this really intense like double life where I was like, running really fast in two different directions and it was this thing where I was like I don't really understand why but I know that it's about to be queer and like I really want to do this faith so like I can't do that you know but like continuing falling back into it doing all this stuff and it was this, like, really, like, clear moment of, like, Christine, like, like, you know the Bible pretty damn well. And, like, you know there's this, like, part in it that everybody fucking talks about, about how it's not okay to be queer. And, like, that is why you were living this, like, you know, like, like, uh, like, self, like, this, like, masochistic, like, like, honorable life and denying yourself and picking up your cross and doing all these things. And the Bible also said, says, like, do not lie. Like, that's pretty fucking clear, you know? Um, and... That was like a really clear moment of me, and a really, and interestingly enough, like there were aspects of my faith, and that like kind of also pulled me out of it into like being like, hey, like realizing how I was made, and that that was on purpose, and that there was a reason for it. Um, so that was that. Um, and then the second part, I think, uh, and why it took me so long was I think I had I had so much fear around talking to my parents about it and I had so much fear and I'd heard so many stories about like horror stories about being like disowned and all these things and I was like really dependent on my parents for a really long time and so there was fear and like that being taken away and so it took until I was financially independent and inde independence I think was a big thing where the pain of like there was like the safety aspect that I was really good about making sure that I was okay. And then there was the, like, relationship with my family aspect. And there became a, like, a, a breaking point where the, the, like, pain that I felt when I would go home to L.A. and, like, not, like, and, like, feel this, like, huge disconnect with my parents. And, like, there, there was this huge checklist that I had run through my brain in going down to L.A. around, like, making sure my phone wasn't on, like, like, display the message versus I message so that they couldn't see when, like, some, like, when my, like, partner texted me or what I would wear and, like, looking at my outfits and being, like, hmm, like, a girl would wear that, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, like, am I gonna get my hair cut this week? Like, nah, nah, I like, swear, like, it needs to be, like, hip, not gay, you know? Um, <laughs> and just, like, 
all of these things have just became so, and like, and like my parents wanting to know me, you know, and like really feeling that and just being like, I can't tell you anything. And I think there became a point where like the, the pain of that disconnect overshadowed this need for safety because that like I was, there weren't, there weren't things to take away anymore. And I had pushed them away and compartmentalized them so much that it like, sadly enough, I didn't have much to lose. Um, um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the third piece and, and really wanting that and like being like feeling it, it being now worth the risk to do that. Um, and then the third part in the wake of after telling them like resources, like talked with my therapist a lot about it. And she gave me a lot of resources like books and shit about queerness and Christianity and about these intersections that like I needed to read, you know? And then after that, like sending them to my parents and um, like my mom sent me this like, I never in 100 million years would have imagined that I would have received a text from my mom like that. And she had read a bunch of books and essentially was just like, like I, I used to have, like my mom's a really devout Christian Filipino woman. She used to be Catholic and like is like at church every fucking week and like doesn't drink and doesn't do anything and like is like a dope ass queen, but also like, yeah, um, really like, like, like literalist, you know? Um, and sent me this text out of kind of nowhere and was like, I used to, I used to, I used to have this notion that like queerness or like LGBT, the LGBTQ community um, and Christianity like couldn't mix, like that is no longer the case, you know, and really acknowledging and believing that um, God loves like, like queer folks just as much as uh, they love her and this being like a really, really revolutionary process for her and like asking for my patience and grace and all of the, like just like ridiculous shit. Um, and, yeah, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, I almost, when, when this all first happened, and when I first told my parents, and we, like, shared a lot of email exchanges, and it was, like, real rough, and, like, they were saying all sorts of, like, really gnarly things about how, like, this was, like, a trial or a tribulation, and, like, comparing my queerness to my brother's, like, drug addiction, and, like, all of this stuff. Yeah. And I remember, like, reflecting and having this moment of, like, like, this is not an affliction for you, like, in fact, this is a blessing, like, like, I think, I think God has blessed you with a queer child because you are fit to, like, like have this depth of compa compassion. Like, you have been seen fit to have a queer child and to, like, have to feel things and learn things that not everybody has to do, you know? Like, you are going to be super human because of this. Yeah. That was a great ending. Thank you so much for seeing. First of all, let's give a huge round of applause for our panelists. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank you so much for allowing me to interview you for hours and hours. We have all these flowers for you all. And we have some flowers for Tara as well for hosting. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Sex Ed with DB. If you want to engage with more of our sex ed content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check us out on our website, sexedwithdb.tumblr.com. We would love to hear from you. Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com for questions, comments, and suggestions for our episodes to come. Our creator, host, and producer is Danielle Bezalow, aka DB. Our content writers and editors are Danielle Bezalow, Aaron Steinfeld, and Rachel Upton. Our graphic illustrator is Jessica Lynn. Our social media and marketing lead is Kat Lestufka. Our sound editor for this episode is Lauren Schechter.
The title of our intro music is So Low by Art of Escapism, and our outro music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you to our featured voices and our listeners. Tune in next time.